It's hard not to notice the moon most nights, waning and waxing across the night sky as the earth and the moon playfully engage in an eons-long waltz, affecting tides, time, and the evolution of life as we know it. Since the very first creatures crawled on the land, life has used the light of the moon to track time, navigate, hunt, and commune. For thousands of years, humans have looked to make meaning of the moon, developing myths, mythologies, fables, and fiction. We've seen a man on the moon, and we sent them to it. We've believed tabloid articles about moon bats and alien life, and we've developed conspiracies about whether life has ever stepped foot there at all. Many children have believed the moon to be chasing cars. Others, like my son, believe a little boy sits up on the crescent moon, dropping his fishing hook into the stars. Thanks, DreamWorks. The sight of the full moon conjures up imaginings of werewolves, leaping cows, creamy cheese, and endless legends. Today, while the moon spins in tandem with the Earth some 238,855 miles from Earth, we are kicking off a new spin-off. This is sort of our test pilot. The Wildlife presents Stardust, a show that explores all of the other sciencey things that don't quite fit under the umbrella of the wildlife. Things like why is the ocean salty? Where did all of Earth's water come from? How is gold made? What happens when two black holes collide? Time travel, lithium, and basically everything else. As time goes on, our goal is to feature every element on the periodic table, our connections to the stars, and everything beyond. As we said, this is our test pilot, which means we are very much in the focus groupy type stage of things. Any and all feedback or topic ideas are very much appreciated. Now, before we blast off, a quick thank you to our member supporters of the wildlife that is, Andrea Lloyd, Megan Gariani, Chris Trenkel, Matt Capel, and Bridget Fitzgerald. If you haven't heard, we've recently launched a new program we're pretty excited about. When you become a patron, you also become a wildlife ambassador. Take your pick of any animal that means a lot to you, send us a brief blurb on why, and we'll feature you, this species, and donate 10% of your monthly contributions to a conservation or research program around that critter. We'll even keep track of your lifetime contributions on the wildlife.blog. Which, honestly, I think is pretty darn awesome. Now, back to the moon in five, five four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Chapter 1, Thea. The moon, just like Earth, Mars, and all of the stars, hasn't always been there. Ours is just one of roughly 200, just within our solar system. So where did the moon come from? There are lots of different theories, but today we're going to focus on the most widely accepted. The giant impactor theory. Sometimes called the ejected ring theory. Richard, I, I don't mean to interrupt, um, and I know it's really soon, but I think this might be a good time for a quick reality check because this is something that pops up in our culture all of the time and it drives me nuts. Take it away. Okay, show of hands. Who has ever heard someone say, well, that's just a theory? 
Okay, now put your hands down. It's not like I can see you anyway. There is a huge misunderstanding about what a theory is, means, and how we use it in day-to-day life conversations and, and how it's meant in science. A theory is not just, with air quotes, it's not just anything. A scientific theory is the most probable and likely conclusion arrived at after careful observation, experimentation, peer review, and best evidence. You can't just make up a theory and put it out there. It has to stand up against intense ridicule and testing. Facts and laws explain the what, while scientific theories are the best possible and available explanation for how and why. I know, I know, in everyday life, people use a word theory like... I have a theory about who's getting voted off of Big Brother tonight, or I have a theory about this fungus on my foot. Not the same thing. At best, that's a hypothesis. At best. But somebody's hunch is not the same thing as a legitimate scientific theory. Okay, end rant. All right. Well, uh, okay, this theory was originally proposed in the mid-70s, but consensus wasn't gained for nearly a decade at a conference that you might consider a March Madness of sorts, in which all the existing theories were gladiatorially pit against each other until one reigned supreme. The idea was that a cosmic body around the size of Mars collided with the young Earth, giving our home its vast initial spin, sort of like space Beyblades, and the impact ejected enough debris to form the moon. The story goes like this. Long, long ago... 4.45 billion years ago, we meet a young planet Earth. Just a wee 50 million years old at this point, not yet hardened by time, Earth was soft. 50 million years, basically alone. Somewhere nearby, another body with roughly the mass of Mars called Thea had been experiencing its own growing pains and in the process gained an orbit that placed it on a collision course with Earth. Two worlds about to collide. If this is sounding a bit rom-commy or like young adult literature to you, you're not alone. One planet focused too much on work doesn't know how to live. Another who knows how to have fun. Anyway, the two did eventually collide, releasing energy 100 million times greater than the impact of Baptistema, the object that is believed to have wiped out much of life on Earth some 66 million years ago. The dinosaur extinction, which we are doing a two-parter on for the wildlife in January, by the way. The collision destroyed the rogue planet and vaporized the upper layers of the mantle of Earth, and in the process generated immense amounts of projectile debris which were ejected into Earth's orbit. As time went on, things cooled and calmed down, and what was left was Earth and our new companion for the rest of time, at least until the sun supernovas. That's a subject for another time. But this theory also helps to explain why the moon lacks a substantial core, why the moon shares so many geological components with the Earth, and why moon rock needs to be heated to such a high temperature before melting down. Now, a quick break, and then, chapter two of our story. Try this at home. Ever wonder what causes the phases of the moon and their distinctive look? To find out for yourself, you'll need a dark room, a mirror, or your smartphone's camera, and a flashlight of some kind. We've all heard of the man on the moon before, and the moon definitely looks like it has a bit of a face, so let's use our faces to represent the moon. Shut off all the lights and face the mirror. Now take the flashlight and shine it at the side of your face. 
Notice how you can see in your reflection that half of your face is lit and half is dark, with a bit of a curve along the light-dark boundary. Turn your head side to side and see how the portions of your face that you can see change. Most people think that the phases of the moon are caused by the Earth blocking light from the sun, casting a shadow on the moon. What they don't consider is that when we are looking at the moon, what we are seeing is the sides of the moon being lit by the sun versus the sides that are faced away from the source of light. No sun blocking involved. Also, sorry Pink Floyd, but there is no dark side of the moon. The moon rotates just like the Earth does and close to the same speed. It just happens that the far side of the moon pretty much consistently stays out of view when the moon is most visible to us at night. Now time for chapter two, time. How long is a year? How about a day? Well, as it turns out, things haven't always been that way. And they won't stay that way either. Days on Earth are getting longer as the moon drifts away. Due to tidal forces between the Earth and the moon, our cosmic companion is drifting away at about 1.5 inches, half an inch shorter than a fun-sized candy bar, per year, and in the process, causing our planet to rotate a bit more slowly. But what if we reverse this? As it turns out, 1.4 billion years ago, the moon was substantially closer. Rather than waltzing with the Earth, our two bodies were engaged in a salsa with Earth experiencing days that were just 18 hours long. This means not necessarily at the same time, but that at times Earth has had as much as 450 days in a year. At certain points our days were 18 hours, at certain points less, now there are 24. If this is confusing, we understand. Let's back up. A year on Earth is what, 365 days? But what is a year? A year is how long it takes to make a trip around the sun. Okay, and what is a day? Uh, a day is how long it takes the Earth to rotate on its axis once. So if the Earth used to move faster, meaning rotate on its axis more quickly, meaning go through entire days more quickly, that means it rotated more times in the time that it took to orbit around the sun. So instead of rotating 365 times in one trip around the sun, it was able to rotate 450 times. Yep, or whatever. But how do we know any of this? Well, for one, we can observe the moon drifting away and do math, but two, fossils. Yes, as it turns out, fossils of things such as corals, which form new layers each day, can be cut into cross sections and counted like rings on a tree. If you were to look at a current one, you'd count about 365 layers. But as you look at older and older fossils, the number of rings increases. So to back up, years are getting longer, which means days are getting longer, which means that today, this day, is the shortest day of your life. And speaking of time, it's time for another break. Try this at home. You'll need a basketball, a softball, and about 10 meters of string. Most depictions of the Earth and the Moon show the Moon incredibly close to our home, but that hasn't been the case for millions of years. The actual average distance is about 10 times the circumference of the Earth. You can actually fit every uh, other planet in the solar system between the Earth and the Moon. So do this. Wrap the string around the basketball 10 times and mark the length. Now stretch it straight out and place the softball at the end. That's the actual scale of the distance of the Moon. Chapter 3. Tides. 
You may already know that the moon impacts a lot more on Earth aside from culture and time. It also affects the tides. Tides are the rise and fall of water, whether in the oceans, lakes, ponds, rivers and streams, or even in a single cup of water. The moon has the biggest impact on tides, but it's not the only factor. However, let's just focus on the moon for now. The moon, as you now know, has gravity of its own, which pulls the oceans and our planet toward it. Its force isn't as strong as Earth gravity, so we don't quite notice it. It's not like we're suddenly pulled into the air when the moon is on our side of the Earth. But it is enough to impact the movement of liquids. The oceans are pulled towards the moon's gravity slightly, causing a bulge on the side of the Earth closest to the moon. In the ocean, that bulge can be quite drastic with low tide revealing a whole new world of life and geography, especially in regions dense with life-filled tide pools. But what about other impacts on the Earth? What about impacts on behavior? Hear that? It's time for a lightning round of myth versus fact. Do wolves howl at the moon? No! Correlation does not equal causation. Wolves do not howl at the moon. However, they may howl more frequently during a full moon, as they may be more active on those nights due to the increased lighting. How about emergency room visits and crime? Nope. Most studies suggest only a 1% variance in crime and ER visits during a full moon, which is statistically nothing. Zero. Yet, it remains a widely held belief that the full moon makes people crazy. Even the terms lunatic and lunacy derive from that. Oh, I have another one to add. As some people listening might know, I am a high school teacher, and as a high school teacher, I am frequently around people saying things like, Watch out this week. It's a full moon. The kids are going to be all kinds of crazy. But is that true? A study published on May 6, 2016, called Does the Moon Affect Our Mood or Actions? Are Children Like Werewolves? Study of Children's Sleeping Patterns Over Lunar Cycles debunked this myth. What they found in a study of 5,812 children from five continents over a 28-month period of time found that during a full moon, the average sleep duration only changed by about 5 minutes or a 1% variance among children. 1%. That's statistically nothing. Just like in the uh, the emergency room or in, in crime example, it's basically nothing. There's no actual change. Instead, what might be happening here is sort of like that causation versus correlation thing. Confirmation bias or observation bias. Sort of like a because people believe it and because other people say it, you just start to believe it. And because you see behaviors while there's a full moon, you think that it must be related to the fact that there's a full moon. You just start to connect the two just because it's something that you've heard before without actual any data to back it up. Now, something that I've been curious about, I happen to work at a school where we collect behavioral data on a daily basis for each student. So I've actually been kind of curious myself as an unofficial thing about looking at the data compared to when there's been a full moon to see if there is actually an increase, but I can already tell you just from my own observation and trying to be as unbiased as possible, I have not really seen any kind of correlation. Anyway. You know, I, I would also like to add that, honestly, at, at this point, even if you were to find uh, some statistics that seem to prove something, um, I don't really think it would qualify as 
proof because we all know that uh, at this point that the the placebo effect has been proven to be very real and uh, when you have this many people just hear about it so much even just on a subconscious level might affect what what they do not just uh, uh, what did you call it uh, kind of like an observation like, bias observation bias yeah like I, I remember when I was a uh, little and you gave my friend I think his name was Zach uh, some like non-caffeinated <laughs> cappuccino mix and he started acting all crazy because he just he just thought there was caffeine in it so he started acting crazy yep. and, and I mean well think about it if you have all these schools full of, full of kids and all the teachers are like oh full moon and they they just plant that in the kids heads oh, um, well of course of course there's going to be kids they're like woo full moon yeah even even on the uh, the emergency room and crime thing let's just say even in instances where there is an increase in crime let's say um, burglaries or and things like that there could be two things going on here one, it could be like the uh, wolf example, where there's just an increase in nighttime activity because there's more light, and so therefore more people might be out later at night and inclined to engage in some illegal activities. Or perhaps it is also related to the fact that things are more visible and there's a little bit more light around, and so crimes are detected better, more easily, and so that that kind of plays a role. Uh, but not that the moon is basically um, turning every person into, you know, a proverbial werewolf on some level and making them act a little bit crazy. Now that we have sufficiently come at pretty much every public servant and educational professional, I think that's probably a good time to close. That about wraps up our very first ever episode of Stardust, our spinoff of The Wildlife our, our test pilot of sorts again any and all feedback topic suggestions are appreciated you can send those to hey.thewildlife.gmail.com or message us on social media thank you again to our member supporters Megan Gariani, Matt Capel, Chris Trankel, Bridget Fitzgerald and Andrea Lloyd you yourself can become a patron and thereby a wildlife ambassador and receiver of merchy benefits and personalized letters by going to patreon.com slash the wildlife p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the wildlife wherever you are listening please drop us a rating in the comment those ratings help us to be more visible uh, and, and help other people to find our show and to take a listen and to you know you know at some point maybe down the line become a patron themselves you know what I'm getting at see, see? I'm just saying it's, a, it's an option. For as little as a buck a month, I might add. But anyway, thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Devin Boker. And I'm Richard Boker. Wherever you are. Somewhere else on the planet. Tonight, take a step outside, look up at the moon, and know that we are looking to... <laughs> uh, is that cheesy enough? Is that cheesy enough? Just like the moon made out of cheese, right? I think I'd shed a tear. Okay. Good. Let's go.